Who am I in the world? I feel like that awareness changes how you stand in the world. If that's not what boundaries are about, then I don't know what they are about. Who am I in the world? Welcome to Messy and Magnificent, the place driven women come to elevate their career, health, and relationships. In here, we increase your productivity by replacing always being busy with the space to breathe. Hear your own wisdom and be part of a sisterhood that has your back. My name is Carly Fain, and together we're going to make sure that you have a doable plan and the roots to rise. Well, hello there. Welcome back to Messy and Magnificent. It is your gal, Carly. And hey, if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Pull up a chair. You're going to dive right into a particularly juicy conversation. In fact, literally the middle of a conversation here today. Now, some things need no explanation, meaning when I see an orange sitting in the produce section of the grocery store, I know exactly what it is and what the experience of having an orange is going to be like. There's no explanation needed. But what if you met a person who's never had an orange before? How would you properly explain the experience of eating your first orange, of the way the oils and the rinds spray up a little bit as you start to peel it back, of the membrane around the segments as you separate one from the other and the way you can begin to smell the fragrance long before you break through that fleshy skin? How would you explain that in such a way that does it justice? And if I went a little deeper into that metaphor, what if you are the orange? How in the world do we explain the depth of who you are and what you're capable of bringing to the table in words alone? I ask this question because I ask myself a very similar question a lot in regard to the work we do here in my coaching practice at Everybody Thrive. I mean, it's one thing to explain how powerful and transformational and effective it is when women get to gather together and support one another in their best careers and best lives. But it's hard to describe something that, like eating your first orange, is really a full experience. And I'm always asking myself, how can I show women the power of sisterhood if they haven't fully tasted it yet? And furthermore, how can I make sure that women get to see some of the grand positive impact they're creating that they might not even be aware of unless someone dares to reflect it back to you? Now, this is especially true if you are a woman that ever wonders, both at work and in your personal life, if you're being too much, right? Are you speaking up too much? Are you taking up too much space? Are you being the most? Or on the flip side, if you ever wonder or worry about whether or not you're doing enough, enough of what matters, enough of what counts, enough of what people find valuable, if you're wondering if your contributions are really as helpful as they could be, Well, this is the conversation for you today, because this really interesting thing happened in our Council of Boundary Makers a couple weeks ago. And with their permission today, I'm going to get to share a part of that conversation with you today. This is one way that you can experience tasting the orange of professional sisterhood. It's a little messy and it's a whole lot of magnificent. And here's the context that you need to know in advance. We formed this Council of Boundary Makers a couple months ago to act as the advisory team and support system for the new class of women enrolling in our Boundary Academy. 
Side note, the doors open for that on February 12th. I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes. I would love for you to apply and be part of this new class of women who are upgrading from that never enough feeling to having time and energy abundance. But what you need to know here is that we met every week in the month of January to review the material together and to foster conversation. And it just so happens that there was something shared in the very first class that came full circle as we were in the fourth module. And so you're going to hear some of the words that one woman shared that rippled out without her knowing, and it turned into a strong current that changed the course of many women's thoughts, both around boundaries and around sharing their voice, and frankly, the course of the way we're launching the Boundary Academy. You're going to hear how our conversation took a left turn that took us off script and simultaneously back home into this really rich dialogue about how boundaries are not just an opportunity to tell people not to encroach on us. That mentality actually leads to a lot of division. It's important that if we want to have healthy boundaries, that we also become a boundary ally to others. And in this way, the road of our boundary goes from being a one-way street where traffic gets a little blocked and congested to a two-lane road where both us and others are able to flow back and forth freely in the direction we're really meant to go. This is how healthy, highly effective boundaries are also the fertile ground for healing the places where we have unintentionally or intentionally crossed or ignored the boundaries of others. See, boundaries are not about putting walls up. And if you've heard either of our last two episodes where I explain how boundaries are a bridge and not a wall, I'll put links to those in the show notes in case you've missed them, then you already know a little bit about that. But what I can add on to that conversation here is that it is not effective in our modern economy to just go about setting up our own boundaries if we don't also do the work of acknowledging where we have crossed the boundaries of others. This is where the work around boundaries really connects to social justice and to us and all people thriving in their careers, their health, or their relationships. So as we launch into this segment here, I want to give a shout out to the voices you're about to hear. Charlene Ryman, Michaela O'Connor Abrams, Dr. Maria Sirwa, Susie Banks-Baum, and Ellen Casey Boyd, including, of course, myself in there too, were the five women who were part of this larger conversation happening amongst 14 of us here in this moment. So I'm seeing a lot of heads nod and also a few more comments in the chat about this idea of boundaries not having to be rigid. Christy, you kind of mirrored the same thing there. I want to let go of the idea that boundaries have to be rigid. Maria, you're saying I want to allow myself more often to care for myself and let go of assumptions about what makes others happy. Yeah. Charlene, you modeled something around that powerfully in the group. You shared an example in the, in the LinkedIn group. Would you feel comfortable talking about that and telling us what you've noticed? So my mom had surgery. My, my parents live right basically next door. We both live on a big farm. And um, so they're close by. And my first reaction was just like, okay, I need to be there for her all the time. I need to make all her meals. I need to do all these things. And plus I need to you know, do all these other things. And I really, really quickly starts like <laughs> hyperventilate or something like, I'm not going to be able to do all this. And then I, I paused, which is 
huge. And I thought about what do they really need? You know, what do my parents need? And what can I do to meet that need? And where can I get other people to help with that need? And it was like this huge weight that it wasn't like I am not solely responsible for this. Like I want to be there to help. I love my parents. And, you know, they're, this is a really hard time for them. My dad's 81. My mom's 78. You know, my mom's not going to be able to walk on one foot. It's crazy. So it felt so good to, to not have the whole burden of the whole on myself. And like, so my boundary was set with a lot of information. And I even talked to my mom and dad and talked to them separately and together and said, what do you need? Like looking at the surgery coming up, like, what do you need? And then I didn't commit right away to say, okay, I can do all of those things. I said, okay, well, you know, let's talk about it. You know, I'm going to talk about it and think about it. And and we're going to figure this out. Like I'll help you figure it out. So, you know, I help you figure it out versus I'm going to do all of this is so different. And it's felt so good. And it's actually been really funny because they have been setting boundaries for me. <laughs> I think I was actually over there too much. And my mom's like, you don't need to come over this afternoon. And I was like planning little activities. Like we were watercoloring and she's like, I packed those watercolors away. <laughs> I'm like, Oh my goodness. I'm like, you are a boundary queen, mom. Like you're doing great. So yeah, it's been really fun. And I just feel so relaxed in my body versus like when I thought about it at first, I was just like, I couldn't even move. Like I was like frozen. And, and, and I so appreciate Maria, like your, you know, what, what do I feel like I'm responsible for? Like, am I responsible for them being happy? Am I responsible for my mom being safe and not falling? Cause at first I'm like, I'm going to stay here with you. And my dad's like, no, 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 you don't need to stay. with us. <laughs> you know, so that's a long story, but that's, it, it feels really good. feels really good. As you describe it, I mean, you're laughing, you're smiling, you're effervescent. Like there's that to me feels like information. It feels like information that's really valuable and worth acknowledging. And I just love your pointing out of where might I be crossing boundaries too, right? Unintentionally, intentionally. I got to share something that came directly from three women here in the group that we've had a conversation with behind the scenes. So one of our first calls when we were doing introductions, Susie, is really beautiful about leading when she describes where she lives, where she, you know, where she inhabits, whose land that was before hers, right? And so you described if I live in the Berkshires and this was land stolen from Mohicans. And, and I think that's a really powerful acknowledgement. And then Michaela, from that, you mentioned how important it was to hear Susie say that. And then some of the dynamic where you live of how there's all these unity and inclusion signs everywhere. And yet, Technically, the law states that you can't sell land to a person that's black in your town. And like, that's a strange disparity to talk one thing. Reality is another thing, right? We got private feedback from some women who felt deeply moved after that, who felt more safe and that they were in a space that was compassionate after hearing those two stories. I wanted you to know how deeply they landed. So we were over here really holding that and holding this idea that We can't talk about boundaries as if they're all about making sure other people don't encroach on us without also acknowledging the place that we have crossed boundaries, intentionally or unintentionally. And we've been discussing how in the welcoming of our class, when we ask them to tell us where they're joining us from, that we give them the links to do the research on whose land it might have been originally if it wasn't 
you know, if it was um, lived on by somebody before them who might have had it stolen, taken, manipulated, or anything else. The women we're welcoming into this class might have never had a conversation like that before. And I just wanted you to know how deeply moving that was. I have an emotional response to that of the fullness of this work and the level of healing that can happen through talking about boundaries, not just what we set, but where we've crossed and how we're all part of this conversation one way or another. Every woman who showed up, it was obvious that everyone added to the experience and also it seemed to me like everyone had a profound takeaway. You sign up for these, you know, these webinars or these courses, but this is different. You actually are showing up with a group of people. People, we're human, we want to interact. Going into the Boundary Academy, I didn't realize where I needed boundaries in my life. Boundaries is such a large word. So to be able to scale that down and to see how like boundaries don't have to be big and scary. They don't have to be intimidating, but that they can be a part of who you are because they're, they need to be is what I think I did see coming, but that is so rich and so wonderful to be able to carry on into the rest this year and the rest of my life. These are the voices of women who have attended the Boundary Academy. This is a group coaching program and ongoing community that I run with 14 women from the Council of Boundary Makers. And together, we welcome women who used to be like me, people-pleasing overachievers who secretly feel behind because you know you're capable of more, but you just don't have time to get to it with everything on your plate into the arms of sisterhood to make sure that you finally have both the time and energy to get to what you care about without being pulled in 10 directions or feeling guilty anymore. Because here's the thing, a life without boundaries is not your own life. But having boundaries is definitely not about armoring up or having to be fierce or have big hard walls between you and everybody else. I think the thing I continued to take away was this perspective that boundaries are not walls. That can be intimidating to say, oh, I'm gonna sign up for Boundary Academy, but I don't know if I'm ready to put up those walls yet. And that's not what it's about. Boundaries actually are between you and you. It's looking at where do you need to create a boundary for yourself? And because of that, that it's softer. It's not trying to hide you behind a wall, but instead, help you bridge across a situation. You see, all my years of research and coaching women in the territory of boundaries has taught me that it's not that setting boundaries is hard. It's trying to set them alone that makes them so tricky. So instead, we use proven methods and good old sisterhood that gives you both the resources, the clarity, and the confidence to have the best career, relationships, and health of your life without it having to feel like as much work as it is right now. So the doors to enroll in the new class open on February 12th and close promptly on February 26th. So this is your window. Head on over to carlyfane.com to get the full scoop and free instant access to the mini Boundaries Like a Boss course. And I hope to see you in the full academy soon. We rise well together. That's what people need to know is like when they feel like they can't rise up, we're here to lift them.
Susie, what's coming up? It's just so moving to me to hear you say that. And, and I too have been thinking about what Michaela said. And uh, every day I wonder, like, how does my social justice work? You know, where does it appear on a daily basis? I'm in a really quiet period of writing. I'm not teaching, so I'm not modeling a lot or challenging people. And the fact that something that I said in this context has had some ripples is really important to hear. But what really strikes me as absolutely central to this discussion of boundaries is I am a descendant of colonial people. You want to know who were slave owners, who were people who took land here in Massachusetts. They were people that I descend from. And if I don't understand how my lineage has felt that boundaries were things that they made and the world had to deal with, respond to. You know, that piece is is ancient in us. We each in this group have different cultural orientations to that original attitude about boundaries. So when we talk about our ancestors and all of that kind of stuff, it's like, it's not just identity, but it's attitude. It is who am I culturally as a boundary keeper? Am I thinking about that wall down in Texas? Am I thinking about the ban on Muslims flying in or out of this country? Like it doesn't all, I mean, it has reverberations in our daily life, in our professional lives, in our family, marital, parental life. But it also, for me, deeply changes how I feel about myself as a member of a community, of the human community. How does that reflect? How do I reflect? So I don't have more words, but I'm really moved that we could include that here and and how you all, um, I mean, how would just we respond to it? And what might come of that, right? Like, and what might come when we, we have no idea because that has never been included in this work for us before, out loud. Behind the scenes, we talk about it all the time, but out loud with a public class. So we don't know. And there's a part of me that's, terrified and excited because it's clearly the right thing to do. Maria, what was coming up for you there? Susie's really opened the window into the possibility of the work. Like it wouldn't be a bad thing for women in the boundary course to understand that not only does boundaries potentiate your own health and well-being, but it actually is contributive to being a better human being in the world if nothing else in, in helping you hold the questions that are difficult to answer, like how do I honor and respect the land, you know? And so I could easily see a discussion moving into the territory of what we would call ethics or the, the ethics of, of, and morality of, of being a human being. And that wouldn't be a bad thing to thread in so that it isn't just, do I call my sister at five or do I not? Well, right. Hard enough to figure out, but. Yeah. But the way, Maria, that 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 reverberates, you know, I feel like, and you will understand this better than I, but I feel like that awareness changes how you stand in the world. If that's not what boundaries are about, then I don't know what they are about. Who am I in the world? This is really live for me right now. And I I was going to send you all a note about how this council has changed my positioning. As a licensed psychologist in Massachusetts, I actually can get a vaccine right now 
which doesn't feel ethical because I don't actually see people face to face. And so I'm not an active healthcare provider, but the, the laws on my side. So a number of my psychologist friends who I know are not seeing anybody face to face are scheduled for the vaccine. But I feel like I know the third grade teacher down the street who isn't going to get the vaccine till phase three. I know the post office guy who isn't going to get it. I, you know, like I know people who, if I take that shot there, it's going to be longer for them to get their shot. So I'm sitting in this, like, I think I'm going to wait, you know, because I'm, I don't feel so at risk. And just because I have the option doesn't mean it's the right option. So I'm just, because of this counsel, I'm sitting in the question. I'm choosing not to force an answer, which is exactly what Susie was talking about, like that capacity to sit and hold the question. Ellen, what were you going to say? Oh, well, Maria, that was amazing. I... It's interesting. I'm finding it so interesting to see who on social media is, I hate using the word bragging, but somebody that I'm an acquaintance with was all excited that she had gotten her vaccine. And I know she is a very recent certified social worker. And my mom has doesn't have her vaccine yet. And my mom is living in a dementia household that we are just so thanking our lucky stars that it didn't go rampant in. And I, and I had this visceral reaction and I had to step back and be like, okay, I'm, I'm glad for her. I don't know if she's seeing people or not, but like, stop. Like, I don't want to see that because we're all trying to make sense of it. And so I thank you for bringing that up because it's definitely something I'm processing, but that's not what I was going to say. I think that, and I'm going to make a huge stereotype. But I think one of the things that I'm reminded of why we are starting, or Carly, maybe why you are thinking about starting boundaries with women is oftentimes, I think those of us showing up and maybe and men too, but there's a softness to wanting to look at boundaries. And I think one of the things I've heard a lot over the last year of people struggling with, particularly white origin people of feeling like, they're not allowed to be a part of the conversation because of their ancestors. And I love what you're saying, Susie, about us taking time to figure out where we sit as human beings. And and I know I came up against this this summer where a cousin of mine, I was talking about Black Lives Matter and she she's older. And she said, oh, you're, you're interested in that? And I said, well, of course. And she said, well, your grandfather was a total racist. And it literally like just hit my heart because my grandfather is to me someone that I learned so much about being a good human from. And it sent me into a total tizzy. And I was like, oh gosh, maybe I shouldn't be thinking of him in this good way. But but to your point, Susie, of trying to look at it and and understand, I don't know if boundary is the right word and maybe I'm not understanding what you're saying, but there's something just about acknowledging the past and then figuring on how we move from those mistakes moving forward. Right. And acknowledging our capacity to be many things while still being one human being, right? To do good and to do harm. And where have I allowed harm to occur? through not paying attention to something that was important, maybe because it wasn't a boundary of mine that was being crossed. Somebody else's boundaries were being crossed. And if it didn't affect me personally, where have I not been paying attention to that? What does that look like? Michaela, what were you going to say? Well, I just want to add that 
we have to be careful in the way in which we think about creating boundaries for good because we have made horrible mistakes in creating what we thought in the interest of being better people, a better society, going back 60 years, 64 years almost, right? When we started creating public housing and the government has spent $33 trillion on these housing developments that are not for ownership, Therefore, a lottery so that what's by and large 68% of Black America gets to win a lottery ticket to be told where they're going to get to rent on the government's payment, which does nothing at all to further their own success and their own integrity and their own respect. But that was done because we thought everybody should have a home. So let's just figure out how in mass to do that. And what we did was pay for institutionalized racism and ghettos. And if we don't turn that around and have home ownership be the idea and not that we are the saviors of everybody, that you know, let's just find more money to do this because that seems right. That's going to be one of the most dangerous boundaries we will continue to institutionalize. So there's something really powerful about a thread of conversation around where do I assume that my way of setting and creating boundaries is the way, right? And where can I allow other people to have their own self-sovereignty, right? And, And listen and more. And Charlene, when I think about, you know, in a lighter way, you gave this playful example of my mom, your mom saying, I, I put the watercolors away. Like, you don't actually need to come over, right? Like, we're good on that front. And this idea, right? Like, that's a playful, funny, silly way of, of, of looking at where have I assumed that the way somebody needs to do something is the way, right? And where can I be malleable again and listening perhaps more than I'm trying to speak to other people about how they should be setting boundaries, which is something we see a lot when we work with women when they first start learning boundaries, one of the pieces of feedback we get is like, Carly, how do I teach this to all my people? Like, I want them to know about this too. And it's like, whoa, hold on, right? Like, let's be with it for a while. And also what an interesting assumption that we need to teach them, you know, anything about how they should be setting boundaries. You know, what would it look like to steep ourselves in the tea first before we go pouring pitchers for anybody else? The poet Amanda Gorman, who was at the inauguration, happened to be standing after in a cluster of people next to the Obamas. Michelle kept saying to Barack, stop hugging people. Stop hugging. Stop. Stop. Just stop hugging people. I assume because of COVID. Right. And she spins around and she sees Amanda behind her and and immediately gives her this huge (laughs) hug. Like she couldn't help herself. Right. Just as an example of we have to get good at this ourselves first. <laughs> That's a great example. So just make sure you're breathing if you're not breathing right now, right? Make sure that your body gets a little wiggle room. This is big stuff. This was not what we had planned to discuss today. And it was clearly what we needed to discuss today. And this reinforces one of the many learnings that I'm get, getting being your student for this month and learning from you is of course why this has to be live and why the interaction in a timely manner 
is really important. And that's one flexibility thing we're learning is like pre-recording the content was going to be passive then. Everything would be set up and be running on its own. And that sounded great. But we're not setting boundaries for the sake of setting boundaries. We're doing this work because we really do believe that it's what gives us the life worth living and that it's what connects us both home to ourselves and to other people. And I just am so deeply grateful for the way this conversation went. What we brought was good, but what you brought was sacred and important and necessary. And I'm, I'm deeply, deeply moved. Maria, you call this the student of grace, right? We all know the student from hell, the one that like interjects, goes off subject, like they're on the same page, they're causing disruption, they're dominating in the class. Um, but sometimes there's the student of grace. And what I'm noticing here is that for the first time, I'm seeing that the student of grace isn't necessarily one person. <laughs> that the student of grace is this thread that's weaving through all of us, all of us here. Well, there it is. A glimpse at what is possible as we continue to develop this community-based business model that gives women the space to tap into their own wisdom together and help the program itself to evolve. So I want to know, of everything you just heard, If there was only one part that you remember from today, what is it? If you find this conversation helpful, I really encourage you to head on over to iTunes and leave a review to make sure that more women get to taste the sweetness of sisterhood. Because remember, you thrive through nourishment, not punishment. Keep taking care of what you value, including the ripples you are creating, maybe without even knowing it. And I'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Messy and Magnificent podcast and being part of this dynamic, life-giving community of women. I consider each episode part of a lifelong conversation of you and me hanging out, sipping tea together, making sure that all women become richer, more nourished, and able to keep on rising. So I'll see you on the next episode next week. But in the meantime, don't forget to head over to carlyfane.com forward slash podcast to get the full show notes. And I've also got some extra special free resources for driven women over there that you won't find anywhere else.